shalom. Uh, the New Testament world is arene, but essentially it means this. There's a sense of wholeness. There's a sense of well-being. It certainly means to, to be uh, okay in the midst of conflict or not have conflict at all. It doesn't mean uh, less than that, but it does mean more than that, that we would have a sense of well-being and wholeness about our lives. And so uh, with that, Romans chapter 16, look at verse 20. The God of, somebody say it, the God of, the God of peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's the only verse for today. That's it. You, you're not. Yeah, we're done. All right. Thanks so much. I'll pray and move on. That's the least Christmassy verse you've ever heard right there. But here we are. Why? Because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So let, let's start. Let's start with the main actor here. We got a main actor and we got a main action. Here's the God. Here's the main actor. It's the God of peace. Our God, the one that we live um, in relationship with, is the God of peace. You get that. I mean, there, there is, that's what he says there. He's described that way in, in other places in the text. Uh, you and I have the opportunity to live in relationship with and every day recognize and let the perspective of our lives be shaped by this God that we follow and relate to as the God of peace. That's the main, he is the main actor in this. We don't have to generate this inside of us. We don't have to like uh, somehow work it up. We don't have to uh, pretend. We don't have to uh, sit on the seesaw and hope it kind of balances out for us. He is the God of peace. And I, I, I mean that in these two ways. Number one, uh, his constitution is such that he does not fret. God has never wrung his hands. He has never wiped his eyes. He's never done that thing where he puts his hands on his knees and goes, ah. He's never gritted his teeth while he was talking. I mean, that was just me this week. I was just thinking about all the things. That, like, he does not fret. He doesn't fret. He is both unchallenged and unrivaled. I mean, there may be people who come against him. There may be uh, forces and things at work where, the, where he would go, boy, that's not how I want that to go. So n- not in the sense of there's not uh, challenging things in the world and, and for God and for us, but in the sense that there's no real challenge for him. No challenge. And he is unrivaled. I just put a couple of verses here uh, before you to think about this. Uh, this is Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens And he does, somebody help me, oh, all that he pleases. He is unchallenged and he is unrivaled. Now, you and I can't say that about us. We are not in the heavens. Let's put that on record. And secondly, we do not get to do all that we please. Just in your mind for a second, think of your week. Maybe this past week or the week that's coming. Think about all the things that you could do if you could please. I mean, just think about them. You would finally finish the Gulf Freeway construction. (laughs) You would go Thanos and snap, and like all the people in the mall would be gone. You know what I mean? So you could get the things done that you need to get done. I mean, just, 
you would fix a relationship that is really critical to you. You would change somebody's mind. We can't do those things. We're not God. But God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. He is unchallenged, and he's unraveled. Here's one more. Uh, this is why I, I tied uh, rest and sovereignty together. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Anybody that feel like you're weak? And I will give you rest. That's a beautiful promise right there. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let's just pause right there uh, just so we're clear because we're a suburban culture, not an agrarian culture. Two weeks ago, um, I was with a group of 20-somethings. I went out and did a young adult retreat um, for a church in Florida. Um, and I said to the guy who brought me, hey man, you realize I'm not a young adult. Like I recognize I'm full-on median adult. Things hurt that used not to hurt. I mean like all of that stuff like I, I'm not, he goes, I know we want some wisdom here. I think they, you know, this one is, uh, oh good, you're old. That's what you're saying. Okay. I had this conversation more than once, more than once with that group. Take my yoke upon you, gentle, lowly hearts. Yoke? What are you talking about? Yoke? They thought it was yoke, Y-O-L-K. Now don't knock them. Some of you aren't sure what a yoke is either. It's this big beam they put across two oxen so that they would walk together and pull together and, and, and uh, work the field together. Jesus is saying, hitch yourself to me, so to speak. Take my yoke upon you. Hitch yourself to me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's Jesus, this, this unrivaled, unchallenged God, the God of peace, and he offers to us rest. And that leads us to the second part, is that not only do we have this constitutionally uh, made God, or uh, this God of this, who has this constitution where he doesn't fret, but he is also the source of us. When he's the God of peace, he's the God who's, who has peace within him, but he's also offering that to us, okay? So he's inviting us into peace. Um, he's inviting us into rest. He's inviting us to, to learn from him. He's inviting us to, to join him and walk with him. He brings peace to us, invites us into peace because it doesn't exist. He pursues us in this world because there's no way to find that sense of wholeness and well-being apart from who he is and what he has done for us. So the main actor here is the God of peace and he comes bringing peace. Why is that important? Well, because um, here in a couple of weeks, you'll sit down uh, with family maybe, uh, with friends, whomever, and you'll start opening presents and bows will start flying and paper will start flying and you'll try to figure out how to undo the box that somebody taped way too well for it to be a present. Is anybody with me on this? You'll start pulling it apart and whatever and all of a sudden you'll look and you'll open a gift and you'll say, wow, thanks so much. I have no idea what this is. And then there will be some other ones that you open it and what will you say? Like, this is exactly what I needed. Guess what? Jesus brings peace. He invites us into peace. He wants us to take on his yoke. Why? So he can control it all? No, 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 no. He's already in control. He doesn't fret. But so that we can get exactly what we needed. The God of peace. Okay.
Some of us say, well, this isn't really my experience. Um, it, if that's you and you say, gosh, I, I don't really experience this at all. Uh, the, one of the questions that may come up is, is there something wrong with me then? What's the answer to that? Maybe, I, I don't know. It, it's tough to do counseling from the front, right? I mean, that's, that's just it. What I can say, though, is this with certainty. It, if there's nothing wrong with you, or if there is, it doesn't really, here's what I do know. There is something wrong with the world. It is broken. Um, it, is, it is a place of darkness, and it is inhabited by an adversary whom the Bible calls Satan. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. In light of, in the light of the glory that is Christmas, right? Stable, manger, angels, Joseph, Mary, star. Where does the star shine? It shines in the darkness. In the light of the glory of Christmas is a darkness that is all around. It's still that way today. We, we live in a world where darkness is still very real, where the conflict is still very real. Um, it, it shows up in, um, uh, in the Christmas story with Herod uh, ordering the slaughter, the wholesale slaughter uh, of, of dozens of kids in Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, it, it shows up in this church. I mean, this is Paul's letter to the Romans, just read up a couple of verses. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. There's darkness there. For such persons don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive and on and on. I mean, it shows up. There's a darkness there. So, so we need God to step in and not only be the main actor, but then to actually do something. And what is that main action? He says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon, what? Crush Satan. I don't know if you've thought about um, God as the snake crusher, but what a great thing to rejoice in today. That, that God is, the main action that God is about um, here, here in, in this little text here as we, as we examine, the main action that we get is God is a snake crushing God. Just, again, let's create some shelf space for that right there and just say, oh, thank you, God, that you crush snakes. Now, how many of you have a pet snake at home? Great. Two of you, we're getting you out of the church. You're no longer welcome. Thanks so much. All the rest of us are sane, and we know that the only good snake, somebody help me, is a thank you so much. Everybody's normal around here except for about three of us. Okay, so I'm mostly kidding. Okay, so... The, the main action, the main action from the text is that God is the snake crushing God. This is what, we're, this is what he's about. So th this promise and fulfillment that he's done, I just we'll put some verses together. One from the Old Testament, I think three or four from the New Testament. This is Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Right after the fall, right after things had gone sideways in humanity, there was a, a perfect place for them in a perfect relationship with God. The serpent comes in, the snake comes in, deceives Eve. Um, uh, and, and she gives to Adam and Adam eats and they fall away from God and the curse comes upon them all. And this is the curse upon the snake. God says, I will put enmity, strife, hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. That, that's the very first promise of the good news of Jesus. That 
He, he will, the Messiah, the seed of the woman will be struck. His heel will be bruised, so to speak. But what will happen? He will crush the head of the serpent. The New Testament authors pick this up. Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. This is what Jesus did. Uh, here, here's another one, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, th- this flesh and blood stuff, like he put on this, that through death he might what? He might destroy, you might say crush even, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Last one, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Does that sound like snake crushing? I mean, that's good news for you and me. God, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And this is what Jesus has inaugurated for you and for me. So just this particular thought. The, The hope that God will do this is what gives us peace in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of all the other stuff. And so this, this transition goes like this. What exactly does that mean? God the snake crusher. What exactly does that mean? Well, I want you to read it very carefully. The God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under what? Under your feet. Your, your feet. Your feet. He, he's already crushed it under his feet. But, but he, you and I will then now get to personally and experientially live in this victory. We will get to see the enemy crushed under our feet. I'll just give you a picture of this. I noticed that a couple of you are wearing purple shirts today, LSU fans. I just noticed that after putting a whooping on Georgia yesterday, that you would show up in purple because you would say it this way, your team one. Are you with me? It's not quite as bad as the college station, you know, but I mean, like, it's pretty bad. And the cult is alive and well. Okay, good. Here's Darren. Here he is. You know where he was yesterday? In his lounge chair. That's where he was. With his TV on, shoveling food into his young son's mouth so that he could listen to the game and watch, right? And yet he dares to show up all today in the house of God with his LSU shirt on and say, my team won. That's what he said. My team won. My team won. How does, I mean, he didn't play. He wasn't on the field. He wasn't even in the stadium. And yet his team won. What? What does it mean? The victory that was won there is his to experience personally. It's his to enjoy personally. The victory that was won there is his to experience personally.
the victory that Jesus won there will be ours to experience personally. Our team won. What, what, is this, what does this look like? This looks like the utter defeat, the utter defeat um, of Satan under your feet, your feet. So the, the Bible says some things about Satan uh, and basically what Jesus is doing here. He is undoing all of the chaos that comes with the reign of the enemy in our world and in our lives. And so I just, I put five things down, um, just picking out verses of how the Bible describes Satan. Uh, in John 10, 10, it says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy those three things. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says that he is the deceiver and the accuser of the brethren. Okay. So those five things, I just wrote these five things down. If you want to take notes, great. If you want to snap a picture, that's fine too. Satan steals. The thief comes to steal, but what does God do? He gives. In your world, it may sound uh, something like this. Um, hey, listen, I, I am too young and too small and too immature to actually step into something. But yet, what do we find all the time? God using the too young and the too small and the too immature to advance his kingdom. God gives power to those kinds of people in order to advance the kingdom. Satan comes along and he wants to steal. He wants to kill. But what does God do? God resurrects. That's what he does. The message of Christianity is a message of death to life. And so um, in, our, in our phraseology, in our lives, it may sound something like this. I have too much of a history to see the snake crushed under my feet. I just want to say to you, if you're here today and that's the thought, that's the tape that plays kind of in your mind, that's the soundtrack uh, that is in your life and that kind of uh, uh, rumbles in your soul a little bit, I've got too much of a history. I want to say to you, God loves using people with the history because it means that his mercy gets magnified. The thief comes to steal and to, to kill and to destroy. What does God do? God builds. God builds. I don't think that, it, it, this is what it may sound like for you. I don't think that I can make a difference. I don't think that I can make a difference. I, the, you ever been in a really, really dark room? I mean a really dark room. And you flip the light on and there's one single little dim light bulb and what do you see? All of a sudden, that dark room is not so dark. Even one little dim light bulb has the capacity to push back the darkness. We saw this during Hurricane Harvey. Um, I saw it yesterday. About 12 of our guys showed up to help one of our folks load a U-Haul. Um, uh, we had incredible time, super fast and easy. and fantastic. Um, uh, we've got only two kids left out there on the tree. I, I, don't think I, I don't think I can actually make a difference. You are. I mean, you are making a difference. You go speak to your neighbor. Maybe the first time that somebody's spoken to them all day in some kind of way. You go serve somebody. It may be the first time that they experience a sense of, uh, uh, of worth because you were willing to step into their lives. You, you uh, forgive somebody. You bless somebody. You whatever somebody. You can make a difference. In fact, God wants to use you to make a difference. He wants to use you. Satan destroys, but God 
builds, and he does so through us. He doesn't just crush Satan under his feet. He's going to crush Satan under ours too uh, quickly. These last two, God, uh, Satan deceives. He calls him the great deceiver, the old, the ancient serpent. But God speaks the truth. God speaks the truth. Um, it may sound like this in your life. Uh, hey, this has been a part of my life for so long, whatever it may be. This addiction, this issue, this problem, this challenge, whatever. I don't know that I could live without it. And God says, not only can you live without it, but I, I want wholeness and well-being for you. I want peace for you so much that, that I'm inviting you to live without it. Lastly, Satan accuses, but what does God do? God blesses. Some of you have heard accusation before. You're never going to live up to anything. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to, you're never going to, you're never going to, you're never going to. Here's what, um, here's what it may sound like. I don't think that I have what it takes. And God says what? You're right. You don't. But the good news is I'm going to crush Satan under your feet. I'm not going to make you crush Satan under your feet. I'm going to do it, but it's going to be under your feet. You do have what it takes because I I'm with you. I, I, the picture that comes to mind with that right there, uh, the Prince Caspian movie, um, this just came to mind. Uh, little Lucy, uh, the, the smallest one of the bunch in the Chronicles of Narnia. The whole army is rushing back to the river in Prince Caspian. And in the movie, it's so beautifully pictured. Um, they're getting ready to cross the big bridge and out walks little Lucy. And she throws her cloak back. She pulls out a knife about that long, like a pocket knife. And she just stands there. And all of them stop. Like, what, what's going on here? And then they start moving toward her. And Aslan the lion comes out from behind her. That's, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea. So that's the what. Um, move quickly here. Going back to the verse. The God of peace will soon... Crush Satan under your feet. The, the, the God of peace will soon. So this is the when question. Soon. Soon. Now, anybody excited about waiting? The when question? Anybody soon? No, nobody? I, I, I really think um, the, the if is not in question. The timing certainly is not clear. But all he says is soon. I think waiting is the hardest part. Anybody? Things in my life right now I'm waiting on, guess what? Most difficult section of my life. If I were to identify this is where I'm struggling most, it's waiting. In your lives, listening to you converse about things, like it is the most difficult thing for us to wait. Some of that is because we're a microwave generation, and some of it is simply because nobody likes to wait. But it is in the waiting that God does profound work in our lives in shaping us and says, hey, not only am I going to do this and it's going to be amazing, but it'll all be worth it in the end. The, the, the question comes to me often, okay, so what do I do then between now and then? Waiting is not a passive thing. I wrote this sentence down. I just encourage you, again, you can write it down, take a picture, whatever. Waiting is, biblical, the biblical version of waiting is walking in what I know to be true and what I know I'm supposed to do. That's what biblical waiting is. The lies come, oh, God's not going to come through, he's not going to come through, he's not going to come through, he, he'll be late, blah, 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 on and on and on, right? The lies say, no, 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 he won't. I'm walking in what I know to be true. God has never shown up late, ever. And 
what I know I'm supposed to do. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're not sure what you are supposed to do next, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing now. That's what you do. Waiting's not passive. It's, it's walking in what I know to be true and walking in what I know that I am supposed to do. When? He's going to soon crush Satan. He promises it's going to happen. That is not in question, but the timing is not clear. Can you imagine getting this letter in Rome and they'll be like, hey, listen, here's great news. In 2019, 2,000, smidge under 2,000 years from now, the church of Jesus is going to be reading this and be really encouraged that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That would be as crazy as you and me saying, you know what? In 2419, Heritage Park is going to be encouraged by the fact that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Soon. Soon. Not easy, but that's what it is. And lastly, how, how, how is this going to happen? He says next, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. How does that happen? Oh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's by his grace. It's by his grace. The, the feet that crushed the Satan, Satan, the feet that crushed Satan are nail-scarred feet. And the, it's that same grace that is going to give us the power to live in that victory. And so I just want to rehearse the gospel for us as we close. Kyle picked up on these last week, and I just I want to bring them back instead of before us. It goes like this. Here's the gospel. That there, there, is, there is sin. Every one of us is guilty. In fact, we don't know a person who's not. And so we are then radically in need of something. Why? Because God is holy. We are separated from him because of his holiness. He doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't wink at it. He doesn't pretend it's okay. He doesn't sweep it under a rug. There's nothing. Separation from God. But he doesn't want that for us. So what does he do? He sends his son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice for our sins. He dies for our sins and in our place. He doesn't stay dead. He's resurrected. He's the Lord of all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so what do we do? We surrender to him. We put our trust and our, uh, we, we turn from our own life and we put our trust in Jesus. We turn and believe. And then this is what he does. He sends us out to a world that needs to know peace. We are a family of missionaries. That's what we are. We're a family of missionaries into the world to declare peace, to declare that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under their feet, to declare that darkness doesn't have the last say. Cancer is not the last word. To, to declare that um, addiction and brokenness and, and um, strife and all of these things, none of that reigns over everything. The family of missionaries goes out and says, we know the God of peace. And you know what's cool about him? As ironic and kind of contradictory as it sounds, the God of peace is a snake crusher. He sends us out into the world with that. So, I want to give us just a moment of space to let us think about this, to let us pause and ponder these things. And so there's a question, set of questions that are just going to come up. If you want to just take a picture, think about them. I just want to give you some space.
to think about this, and we'll have a moment to respond, okay?